0: Hello, I'm Diane Kuppel, CEO of Portfolio Plus, and I'd like to welcome everyone to our podcast. In our podcast today, we're going to be talking with Bruce Duffy from People's Group. In our podcast series, what we like to do is focus on individuals that are innovating and leading in the journey for open banking in the Canadian financial services space. So our purpose here today is to share a thoughts, approaches and learnings that support the community of continuous digital and technology changes underway. So Bruce is with Peoples Group and Peoples has been providing financial services to Canadians for more than 35 years through their services family of Peoples Bank and Peoples Trust. And since 1985, they've been on a journey of continuous evolution by expanding their product and service offerings based on the needs of their customers and the ever-changing financial space. In June of this year, People's Trust received their direct clear status through the Automated Clearing and Settlement Systems by Payments Canada and are the first financial institution to receive this status since the ACSS was launched in 1984. So as their chief risk officer and chief information officer, Bruce is keenly focused on leveraging technology to expand their digital product offering and services. So I'm really excited that you were able to join us today, Bruce. I know you have a very busy schedule. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to share uh, with our audience before we hop into our discussion about People's Group or yourself and your role?
1: Thank you very much, Diane. It's truly my pleasure to uh, join you on this platform and share some thoughts and insights and, and hopefully have a great conversation about some really emerging and important areas within the financial services domain. I think you've captured our history well and our, our future will probably get into the conversation. So maybe just a little on my personal background. I, I did join Peoples back in late 2018 and since then we've been, been on a exciting journey of adopting and investing in core technology platforms to expand our capabilities both internally and externally so we can better service our customers and clients in more efficient and effective ways. So this this is an exciting juncture in our journey and we look forward to continued success along this pathway.
0: That's great. Well, I am very excited for the conversation. You and I have talked many times throughout the years, and I thought today would be a, a great way to start the conversation would be based on a recent discussion that you and I had. We were talking about how banking has changed. So gone are the days of having to go to the bank to perform every type of a financial transactions from accessing cash, paying bills, applying for mortgages, you know, by leveraging technology, banking has advanced at a really fast space, pace. I remember when the skepticism was around of using your phone to do banking, but now it's it's expected in a, a digital channel for everybody to have access to their, to be able to perform banking transactions. So the bankers of today really need to be technologists or at least comfortable with technology or have knowledgeable technologists as part of their team. So the corporate culture, I would think, in the banks and financial services space is really changing as a result of that shift. So I know you, the peoples have gone through quite a bit of cultural change, and I was wondering if you could share some of your thoughts on what you're seeing uh, taking place from a cultural shift in the world of banking.
1: Absolutely, Diane, I think you've hit it. On the head as it relates to the kind of starting point and the impetus for real transformative change, whether it be technological, whether it be strategic, whether it be economically driven change, it all starts with culture. And at people's, we take, we put people and culture at kind of the heart of our strategic planning. And let me just kind of unpack that a little bit because in, in general, the the topic of people can be can be interpreted in very different ways. So when we look at people strategically, we kind of look at two dimensions of, of a person and that, that's the core kind of competency and capabilities and skill sets that they bring. And equally important is the character that they bring to the equation each and every day. Are they open minded? Do they operate with integrity? Do they have discipline? Do they have personality that is, um, connects well with others in team situations, in stressful situations. So it's that balance between competency, capability and character that really drives the essence of the formation of a sound culture. Once that kind of cultural fabric is put in place, then it's up to the people to honor that and live by that kind of day and day, whether it's pushing the envelope as it relates to new markets, new developments, new products, investments in technology, or simply how do we have conversations in productive fashions around interesting and important areas? So that cultural foundation allows an organization to tackle and confront new situations with the courage and the commitment to actually bring it through from an idea all the way to fruition. Thinking about your point around the integration of call it kind of the social expectations and the emerging expectations of financial institutions, whether it be banks or non-banks or anybody that plays in that ecosystem, the, you are absolutely correct in saying that banking is no longer, and this has been an idea that's been discussed for, for several years now. Banking is no longer somewhere where you go. It is something that you do that's integrated into your life. And how individuals bank is different, how people bank is different, because by definition, their lives are different. So when you look at being in this space, servicing people, taking a tailored way and having an adaptable way to develop products and solutions that truly meet their personal needs is at the forefront of our strategic thinking. Because otherwise, you just become a commodity. You just offer a different type of product, a different type of service, under a different banner. What we're trying to do is build an experience that's unique, that is truly tailored to the needs of our customers.
0: That's a great lead-in to where I'd like us to explore a little bit more. Because we're hearing terms in the industry like embedded finance, frictionless banking. And it all is building from that open banking, open finance terminology that gets floated around on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And you use the term of it, you know, just being part of our lives, being there. Last year, I actually moderated a a panel with Open Banking Expo. And in that panel, we focused the discussion around banking and electricity and comparing the two. So, you know, as a society, we understand, or I should say, we, we expect that when we turn on a light, it, we flick a switch, a light turns on, right? We expect the systems are in place, that are work, that are dependable, they're safe. And, and based on everything that's being provided, we can use them. We don't think about the infrastructure behind it when we touch that switch, we just, we expect it. When we think of terms like open finance, embedded finance, we are thinking about banking in a way to access money or payments. It's very similar. It's just, it's part of my life. It's available to me where, when, and how I need it. I don't really think about the infrastructure that's required to deliver it. I think all we care about is having access to the financial systems that are easy to use, they're safe, they're secure, and they focus on creating that financial well-being for consumers in, in today's world. So you've kind of started to touch on that. So maybe can you share your views on how open finance or open banking, whichever term, or embedded finance, whichever term you're comfortable with, can you share your views on how you think that will increase access to financial systems and products? Because you're tying it now to culture and culture being creative and offering new products and being accountable to bring it forward. Well what does that enable for you to bring forward from the financial systems and access to products and if open banking and open finance once it becomes more commonplace across Canada what opportunities do you see for people then to bring new products and services to your
1: customers Yeah that's a very uh, relevant topic Diane in this in this current industry because a lot of definitions a lot of new terms are coming to the forefront on the headlines and the papers and websites. And it's very important that we adopt a common understanding of what exactly these emerging technologies mean. And I'll I'll start by answering your question by just thinking about the fundamentals of banking first, and then I'll uh, move into how that construct is actually preserved, well-preserved, but just being manifested in a different fashion through the constructs of open banking and open finance, which are different and I'll highlight on the key distinctions between the two. Starting with banking as a core, and mentioned this uh, in your earlier statements, is that really involves three fundamental aspects. One is to have have a mechanism for retaining a store of value. The second is offering some form of a credit solution. And then the third is the ability and capabilities to move money. Now, each one of those, if you like, dimensions of the banking construct storing, credit, and movement of money, then expand in kind of multidimensional ways as you look at industries it serves, the people that it serves, the purpose it serves for uh, economics and society. And then when the aspect of an open banking concept enters into this fold, it takes barriers down between existing financial institutions, meaning that the data that's stored in one bank now becomes open to other banks to share and use, which has inherent benefits to consumers because their data isn't only protected and, and utilized by a single entity, but the consumer has more power and influence on their utilization within the financial services ecosystem. Open finance takes that construct and expands it into new industries. So, for example, your financial data, your financial uh, capabilities for integrating between industries like, call it banking and healthcare, like banking and education, banking and kind of X industry. It starts to build... A lattice framework between banking and other industries, which you can imagine truly embraces this notion that banking is part of our lives. It's not a place that you go and it should be found and embedded into these various constructs within our lives, regardless of which industry. So I think there's a lot of cap- a lot of potential associated with that thinking. Now, with that said, there are, and, and we can appreciate this. There's regulatory constraints. There's data privacy. There's personal information, data ownership. There are, are an abundance of constructs and kind of regulatory requirements that must be thought of very carefully before these kind of floodgates start to open. The potential is huge. The risks are also um, noteworthy because it becomes a new way, effectively, on how people and organizations function in society. At Peoples, we are definitely investing into technology capabilities that would give us the potential to operate in such an environment. Now, without getting into the details, I think we can appreciate that foundation architecture can be built rigid or can be built in ways that are flexible and adaptable. We're taking um, the notion of taking these models into more of an adaptive culture going forward.
0: So, it's going to open up more opportunity for banking to not, to your point, not be something that we do, but part of our whole lives. So, as part of our whole lives, I, th- I see that the you know we've always talked about having, we need financial planners and various other things. We need to have a plan for ourselves individually as a consumer. I think there's another aspect that doesn't always get talked about, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on that too, is from a small business and uh, commercial side. So, I see opportunity for it to have our small businesses make better informed decisions, Mm -hmm. because from what I'm hearing you say is, is it becomes part of their lives and enables them access to everything. So instead of, you know, waiting to close their books five days after month end, they could push a button at any point in time and have a complete picture of their financial services. There's an opportunity for them potentially to test market products and see The results of that market uptake really quickly by being able, again, to have access real time to all the financial data, the transactions and the sales. So if we focus on it from a small business point of view, do you see that that will help us better improve the economy from enabling small businesses to be more successful quicker or faster or just more informed?
1: Yes, small businesses are are truly at, at the heart of many aspects of a strong economy. And being able to provide sound, secure, reliable, efficient, scalable, simple solutions for our small businesses out there provides an opportunity for these organizations to have strong working capital, to have capabilities for investing into the growth and the protection of their, their, their business for, from a sustainability standpoint and having the banking backbone services available. To small businesses in such a way that makes it seamless almost, and also protects them for the current and future uh, economic conditions it is a very important aspect for financial institutions to architect these solutions for our small businesses. Each small business, as you can imagine, has an ownership behind it. So that ownership are, represents the individual banking needs. So you can see the natural opportunities and synergies between providing very sound banking services for small businesses cascades into the opportunities for providing personal banking services for the ownership group.
0: That's great. I think you've expressed the synergies that I see from both sides, like for for movement for both, to your point, small businesses as well as consumers. I think there's, there's great opportunity there as we continue to leverage technology. One of the things you briefly mentioned on is is uh, regulatory change and data privacy, and I know that um, open banking has progressed in so- other regions across the world more quickly than some would feel that it is moving in Canada. There's concerns being voiced that we are behind and that we need more focus and momentum behind it. So. One of the questions that's being asked is, should open banking be mandated or regulated to enable faster adoption across the the financial services space? Now, in your role as a chief risk officer, you're well aware of impacts regulatory change can have on financial institutions, both from a reporting, but also from a technology point of view. So given all the benefits that we've highlighted and talked about, is is regulation a way to increase momentum or is it really about educating consumers and small businesses so they can put more pressure on our government to move quickly? I'd be very interested in your thoughts.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Diane. And the, I think it's absolutely, there's a balance between the importance of regulatory movement on this space equally the importance of, people and consumers and and general society to have a strong understanding of of what this opportunity means to them personally, either as a company, as a family, or as an individual. We have and continue to have an excellent relationship with our regulators. We value their contribution to what we do uh, from a value protection standpoint, and we would work with our regulators. to create that balance between adoption, uh opportunity, and capabilities to open this framework up to to our customers and, and I think broader society. The interesting aspect of this is you can go too far or not far enough. So, it really is striking that balance between the right degree of regulatory involvement and the adoption rate for consumers. I think playing that kind of middle of the lane road in this situation would be uh, the best opportunity for a healthy outcome for all stakeholders.
0: That's great. I, I think there is, to your point, a balanced approach that we could take to this. What that is, I, I, I don't know, but I think it's important, as you said, that Everybody come together and work together to resolve what is needed and collaborate on the outcome so that we can get the momentum going just because of the value that it will give to consumers and small businesses, especially as we are going into challenging times with different inflation rates and various challenges that we're seeing in today's economy. The more we can empower and enable people to manage their finances, the better off we will be as a country, I believe.
1: Well said, and I agree with that.
0: So one of the other aspects of this, we've talked about leveraging, you know, changes in technology and the marketplace as things continue to evolve. And part of that means bringing and working with partners. I know from a portfolio plus point of view, we always look to bring partners to the table that we can work with, both from a customer and other fintechs or other technology partners in the space. We all have to work together. We have to have very close relationships in my mind, I feel, in order for everybody to be successful successful. And Peoples and Portfolio Plus have been working together for many years now. And uh, at Portfolio Plus, our approach to our customers has always been to work with them as partners focused on uh, joint success. So if you're, you and your customers are successful, then we at Portfolio Plus, we've, we've done our job to support you. And so as things continue to change with such the fast pace that's happening... What would you recommend, because we've had a great long working relationship together, what would you recommend that Portfolio Plus continue to do to support our customers moving forward?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, we have. We've had a long and successful uh, partnership, Diane, and I think that's important to highlight because you know when we're competing in this space and when you're trying to make a difference in this space, taking kind of a protectionist view that it must be built here I think it's very limited. We look at our partner ecosystem as an extension of our core value proposition. So really finding the right partners that align both culturally, strategically, and technologically is a key differentiator that we continue to invest in. As it relates to how, I'll call it, technology companies evolve. And I'll start with that deliberately because I think it's the importance for technology companies to recognize that they are evolving just like the rest of society is evolving. So limiting yourself to being categorized as strictly a technology company, I think is a thing of the past. It's looking at the services and the capabilities and the value proposition that an organization is bringing to society needs to be factored into the overall strategic roadmap. What does this mean? Well, it means looking at the solutions and products and capabilities that can be adopted by organizations and by individuals that actually make a meaningful difference in their day to day lives. This is not an easy problem to solve. Cranking out kind of commodity type banking products and services, I think is no longer sufficient to uh, meet the expectations of the emerging uh, expectations of people, the emergence of new Types and shapes of risks that we're getting into the new types of, um, competitive expectations that are being put upon us by various other actors in the, in the ecosystem. Therefore, our, our business models of the past of saying we're just a technology company and we just make products or we're just a bank and we just develop products and services is going to be a thing of the past. So what does that mean? looking at the utilization of data, looking at the multiple sources of data that's available and using that to harness clearer insights into this future world that we're getting into is very important. So we have an ability to adapt to these circumstances more strategically with through analytics. The uh, investment in people, culture and competencies to Embrace kind of the setting the right tone from leadership is so important in this, meaning that leaders aren't just there to set the agenda and walk away, but they're part of the equation to drive the organization to that next level, to establish trust, to build a framework of integrity, to walk the talk, to recognize the importance of inclusion, diversity, and multiple aspects of what this future world looks like that is the future of leadership. And if organizations do not embrace that, it doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't matter what industry they're in. They're not going to survive. So constant and rapid evolution on those aspects outside of just the core competencies are equally important. And therefore, leveraging that partnership network and having that same construct for thinking about the future is very important. That's great.
0: And I do believe a lot comes from the leadership, the example that that leader set and I fully support the inclusion and diversity. I think coming together with that, your culture, for example, um, as well as your partner's culture, you can actually achieve greater things when you do come together and you're all into what it is that you're trying to achieve and what the outputs actually
1: are. That's, that's exactly it, Diane. And, you know, and if I was to kind of hone in a little bit more on the technological expectations that uh, I think people, organizations, and partnerships are seeing, is a pattern of three kind of, um, i call it, time-constrained requirements. And that's these are the, the three items that I would want to highlight. One is the capabilities for technology to be simple and easy to interact with. Two is the depth and breadth and scope of information that's within the ecosystem that can be transformed into integration and intelligent purposes. Insights need to be derived from this data, need to be derived from this information, need to be accessible so organizations and people can make sound decisions. And whether this this is a decision made by a person or a decision made by a machine, it doesn't really matter. But sound decision making is fundamental to the future which also supports the strategic and risk management objectives. And the third layer, uh, and this is where it gets really exciting, is the advances that uh, technology are making on the computational aspect. The speed and the volume of data that can be processed in mere nanoseconds is is radically different even from where it was five years ago. So this abundance of computational power will unlock and unleash new capabilities that you know we've never seen before. So these aspects need to be really embedded into the technological planning for organizations, whether you be a pure tech company or an organization that leverages technology, embracing these three dimensions in conjunction with the cultural aspects, in conjunction with societal expectations, in conjunction with regulatory expectations that creates this multi-dimensional construct that organizations must be equipped to deal with. If you strictly rely on a vertical and kind of linear aspect to this thinking, I, I, I question the sustainability of that type of thinking in today's world.
0: I like the way you've outlined those three items because it does speak to really the next stages of where things are going. If we have access to huge amounts of transaction data and processing data, as we've talked about, by looking at that data, everybody can make better and more informed decisions. So the product we're producing, pro- uh, services people are providing are more efficient and more informed. And you can you can actually be more successful by making those data-driven decisions.
1: And that's exactly it. And, and one of the things that kind of... Um, it gets me very uh, you know, tuned into the conversation is when organizations are sitting around the table and people are and say, we need more data. And I question that, do we need more data? We have so much data, more than they can probably wrap their heads around. So it's the utilization and the datafication of everything that is out there and translating that into information and insights that can be leveraged into real-time decision-making, strategic planning, Risk mitigation, risk management, this this aspect of of truly transforming the organization from a, a linear mode of thinking to a non linear mode of thinking, which is far more aligned with how how life operates.
0: And the way you've described it, I mean. I know some people think of machine learning as as potentially impacting other people's I'll say jobs loosely but the way I'm hearing you describe it is it's an it's it's not it's to augment it's to enhance it's to improve it's not something we should see as a threat
1: yeah that's that's exactly it Diane and I, I think I'm, I'm I've been around long enough to remember the fear that the introduction of Email and the introduction of ERP systems and the introduction of of workflow engines and databases was going to result in a massive loss of jobs and an abundance of spare time for people. Now, I think what technology does when embraced properly, and I haven't seen um, any of those. By the way, I've seen you know more time being uh, utilized, time being utilized more efficiently, but not necessarily. An abundance of spare time. (laughs) The, so the aspect of the, that of, of the adoption and the utilization of capabilities like machine learning as a tool set, as opposed to a competing force, again, goes back to the mindset and the cultural adaptation required for organizations to have a sustainable future. So open minded to these types of capabilities is, I think, very important for organizations to not overlook.
0: The conversation today has been great. Uh, While it all started talking about banking, (laughs) it it, it actually has applications across many different verticals, not just the financial services space. Uh, I think that's an amazing statement to connect it all together with what you've just said. It's not just any one vertical or another. This can be applied across multiple verticals to help everybody be more successful.
1: That's, that's, that's what we believe is a, is a, we have a higher probability of, of competing. If we have that open thinking, as opposed to pretending that historical artifacts and historical scenarios are going to just manifest again in the future. I think we're looking at the future from the emergence of this new construct of integration as a way that we have to um, adapt and be prepared for opportunities and, and risks that we haven't seen before. That's
0: great. Well, Bruce, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with me today. I'm sure our audience has been able to take away something from this conversation. I appreciate you sharing all your thoughts and giving some insights to our listeners on peoples and yourself. Did you have any last um, pieces of information based on our discussion that you'd like to share before we wrap up?
1: It's been my pleasure, Diane. Always a pleasure to connect with you. And uh, thank you for the continued support. And uh, I don't have anything further to add. It's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed your perspectives and sure hope uh, the uh, audience has um, taken a few nuggets away as well.
0: Great. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you for listening to our conversation with Bruce Duffy from People's Group. For more information, please visit our website at PortfolioPlus.com slash podcast. If you have any feedback, you can reach us or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at PortfolioPlus19. You can subscribe to our podcast series wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also add yourself to our mailing list and we will notify you when our next podcast is available. Until next time, all the best.